Let me share this with you guys. Since January, I, I, I shared with you guys kind of a, instead of a New Year's, um, uh, what's the word, resolution? Resol- instead of a New Year's thing, I, I, I said, let's do, let's do this. Let's say, wake up in the morning. When you wake up, um, before your feet hit the ground, before you drink a cup of coffee, before you look at the phone, say this verse from Psalm 118. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And sometimes we have to add that word somehow. Because some of us, you know, have just been going through all kinds of stuff. Um, and I just, uh, we, we add that because we know God's with us. But we wonder, how are we going to get through this day? But we trust that God will be with us. It's just an invitation for God to be with us um, as we start our day. A great way to start the day. And I'm going to share some, some Lenten challenges as we go through uh, these next weeks. This time of Lent, the season for the church is between Ash Wednesday and Easter. Um, but let me start um, from 1,000 feet up today, okay? Um, famous lines from movies, okay? And this is audience participation. You guys are much better than the 9 o'clock service. I mean, when I tell them, I have to say, okay, audience participation is when you participate. I throw out something and you, you come back. You guys are all over that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out a, a line from a movie, and you guys just shout out what movie you think it is. Okay, you ready? And, and you get some points for, for speed and volume, okay? Um, Houston, we have a problem. Okay, very good, very good. Um, if you build it, he will come. Build of dreams, very, very good. <laughs> Some very exuberant folks from the back there. Um, um, how about this one? Um, you're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. Sandlot, very good. <laughs> Seems like the same person back here is, is very good. <laughs> um, how about this one? These are, all, these are all dated movies. I haven't seen a new movie since like 1995. So, um, so kids, you know, hang, hang in there with us. Um, um, I think we're going to need a bigger boat. Jaws, very good. 1975. Um, um, okay, f- famous, famous last lines from a movie. Those are famous lines, famous last lines. Um, I have to look at this because the people in the back were saying, you're not following your script at all. Um, uh, okay, um, um, frankly, Scarlett, I don't give a darn. Gone with the wind. Uh, <laughs> that's way back there, 1930s. Okay, here, here's another one, um, more recent. Promise me, Rose, and never let go of that promise. Titanic, very good. Okay, um, for all you Star Wars fans, oops, gave it away. Um, <laughs> very good, very good. I'm going to just move on. Um, fa- famous famous um, lines from movies, famous last lines, but how about for us? For us, um, famous last words, famous words, words that we've dealt with. Ramon and my partner in, in care ministry, when we meet with the family and put together, weave together a, a, a celebration of life service or a funeral, I oftentimes ask this question. If you had five more minutes with your loved one, if you had five more minutes, what would, they, what would you say to them and what would they say to you? And, I, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's a way of unpacking just maybe there's some things that need to be said, but invariably... Both directions, said to the one who is dying and said to the one um, back to them, they would say, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, sweetheart. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I love you, my sweet wife. I love you. And then other, other times it's, I thank you, thank you, thank you. But invariably it's, it's, I love you. I love you. 
My mom passed away September 1st, uh, 2018. These were my last words to my mom. Mom, I'll see you on the other side, okay? Mom, I'll see you on the other side, okay? Um, These famous lines from movies or famous last lines or words that we wish we could share with a loved one or the words I shared with my mom, they're, they're, they're significant. I mean, sometimes they're funny if we're looking at movies, but sometimes they're, they're meaningful. Maybe the most meaningful words that we've ever shared with someone because they're about hope and love and about faith. Um, this morning, we're going to fuss with the last words that Jesus spoke from the cross. If you were here with us on Ash Wednesday, we introduced you to the first word. Today, we're going to talk about the second word, and I promised the folks in the back I would make sure I'd stayed pretty close to my, to my notes this morning. Um, Recalling this Lenten series, Famous Last Words, um, those words from Jesus as recorded in the Gospels. So there's seven uh, words or phrases that are recorded, and we'll look at one, one, one each Sunday. But in one form or the other, it's Jesus from the cross saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Um, Ash Wednesday, this past Wednesday, we looked at the first word or phrase from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus going to the Father on our behalf and pleading forgiveness for us. Again, we'll look at one word, one phrase for the next six Sundays leading up to Easter. But let let me introduce um, something I I talked about a little bit on Ash Wednesday. I talked about it a couple weeks back, but something called a bid for connection. If you're taking notes, this is the first fill in the blank. A bid for connection is any time we're wanting to connect with someone. Bid for connection is anytime we're trying to connect in some kind of relationship way with someone. Let me give you some examples of bid for connection. It can be eye contact or a smile. Or it could be a sigh. These are little subtle things, this bid for connection. It can be a direct ask for your help or attention. It can be just saying good morning or good night. It can be asking for a favor. It can be reading something aloud to you. Hey, hey, listen to this or... or Or, hey, look at this. Bids for connection. And number two, if you're taking notes, we respond to bids for connection in one of three ways. In one of three ways. Bids for connection. We respond to a bid for connection in one of three ways. Either towards the bid for connection or or away from the bid for connection or neutral to it or against it. Let me give a couple examples. I shared this a few weeks back. Um, Husband and wife come and sit down at the breakfast table. You know, they're having breakfast, a cup of coffee, and the wife just... Big sigh. Um, the husband can turn towards it. Sweetie, you okay? Is this, did you not sleep well last night? You got a rough day ahead? Or the husband can be neutral he, or, or, or neutral or away from it. He doesn't, he doesn't hear the sigh or he just doesn't respond to it. Or he could be against it. What is your problem now? Um, so three ways to respond, either towards or away or neutral or against. Um, next one, um, uh, someone comes and sits next to you at church, um, someone you don't know. I mean, you can turn towards them and say, hey, my name's Joe. I am the Karen Connections pastor, substituting in as the senior pastor. Um, hey, just welcome. I, we haven't met. What's your name? I mean, we can turn towards them um, and, and, and greet them, engage with them. Or we can be neutral towards them. We can look at our phone or look at our bulletin or look away. We can, we can you know, not turn towards them, but, but we can be neutral towards them or away from them. Or we could turn against them. Hey, hey, don't you see there's a whole bunch of seats over in that section. Could you sit over there? Um, 
That would never happen at our church, right? Um, Oh, my goodness. Um, But, you know, taking this stuff, uh, John and Julie Gottman are experts in relationships, in in couples. Uh, um, They're they're just super good. And um, this is uh, back early on in their career, they they took 130 couples, newlywed couples, um, early on in their marriage, still during the honeymoon stage, and they did something called the Love Lab. They, they, from Friday evening to Sunday evening, they had these folks go by themselves, one at a time. They, would, they, they had an a, a apartment, Airbnb, really nice apartment set up for these couples to come in, fully furnished, but they, they weren't allowed to leave. They had to stay there. And they had three cameras in the, in the apartment just kind of watching, not everything, watching, but mostly not watching that part. They... they PG-13, guys. Um, we're, we're, they were watching, during the day, they were watching them closely with these cameras. And they, they weren't sure exactly what they were watching for, but, but eventually it became apparent. They were, they were looking for these bids for connection. And they, they found out this amazing thing, and they, they followed these 130 couples for six years after this, this, this love lab, they called it. So um, during the honeymoon phase, they followed them during... During first pregnancies, during first kids, they followed them and beyond. And they, they, they made these powerful ob- observations. Some of these cu- couples thrived. Some of them sort of were, were struggling a little bit. And some were divorced. But th- they noted this, and this was statistically significant. That, that um, for couples that divorced, when there was a, during this honeymoon phase, during this love lab phase, um, that, 30, th- that um, the couples that got divorced they only turn positively towards each other 33% of the time. And remember, this is during the lovey-dovey time. This is while things are going really well. This is during the honeymoon time. So 33% of the the couples that that ended up divorced during this honeymoon time, they only turn towards each other, positively towards each other, a third of the time. The folks that were, that, were, that were going gangbusters, folks that were still thriving, they noticed that they turned during that, um, that three-day, Friday night through Sunday, they turned towards each other 86% of the time. So significantly, statistically significant. From 33%, those folks divorced, to 86% folks turning towards when, when they were turning towards um, I, w- I want to share this bid for connection is significant in our relationships, but also in our relationship with God. And God's bid for connection to us, and if you're taking notes, I don't really know where we are, but there's somewhere on your notes there. Um, uh, God, through Jesus, makes the ultimate bid for connection with us, and ultimately, ultimately, through the cross. God's God, through Jesus, makes the ultimate bid for connection with us, all of us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave us his one and only son. Whoever turns towards him, whoever believes in him, it's God's bid for connection. It happened most powerfully 2,000 years ago on the cross, but God's bid for connection with us is, is every day, every moment. Um, over these next weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to look at the last words of Jesus from the cross and how each of those words, how each of those phrases is a bid for connection from God, from Jesus, to all of us. Okay? Um, let me introduce us to, the, the, to Jesus' second word from the cross. And I'm going to go backwards a little bit uh, just to give us context. And this is also the, the word, the first word 
that Jesus gave to us from the cross. Um, but just to give it some context, I'm looking at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, starting with the 32nd verse. We'll have the verses up there just in a moment, but just to give it some context, let me, let me read these, these few verses that we looked at on Ash Wednesday. And I ask you to listen carefully. These are God's words. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed, to be killed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified Jesus there. They nailed him to a cross, along with the, other, with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said this. This was the first word from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then they divided up, folks, the soldiers divided up his clothes by casting lots. And this is where we pick up today the second word. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at Jesus. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers there also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vigor and said, if you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above Jesus which read, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us too. But the, one, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Bids for connection, if you're taking notes, bids for connection from the cross, from this story, from Jesus. Let me paint the picture for you. Here's, here's Here's the picture. There's three crosses. We have three crosses right outside Somewhere out this side, we have three crosses, kind of reminding us of of that scene. There's three crosses. Jesus is on the middle one, and there's a criminal to his right, and there's a criminal to his left. And then there's the folks at the foot of the cross. There's the crowd, the people. There's the soldiers. Then there's the religious leaders. Uh, Let's look at it verse by verse. Verse 35. The people, the people stood watching. This is the crowd earlier that day that was shouting to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. These are not innocent bystanders. Pilate, if you remember, wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate and Herod both, the leaders, the the government, the folks who were representing Rome, didn't believe in any of the accusations against Jesus, but the crowd was insistent and persistent, and their shouts prevailed. This is a quote from Frank Laubach. We humans have an unlovely hunger for scandal. These are the people now watching at the foot of the cross, and they smell scandal and blood and death. Ever get sucked into watching something unfold, either live or on TV, something that you knew wasn't right, but you just stood there and watched, but you could not turn the TV off? Thinking back to my high school days, somebody in the cafeteria yells, fight, and all of a sudden there's a crowd that circles around the fight. And in fact, they boo when the teachers, after the teachers break it up. If you're taking notes, the people watched. The people watched. The people stood watching. 
caught up in the moment. Oh, oh boy, this is going to be good. And entrepreneur types are thinking, maybe we could make some money off of this, sell popcorn or something. What's that quote about evil? Evil can only prevail when good people choose to do nothing. I'm sure there were some good people in the crowd, but they were numb, silent by the larger voices, the louder voices. The crowd watched. The crowd watched. The second part of verse 35, and the rulers, the rulers even sneered at Jesus. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Next fill in the blank. The rulers sneered. The rulers sneered. The rulers, these are the religious rulers. These were the Pharisees and the scribes. These are the ones that met secretly that Good Friday morning, making up all kinds of accusations against Jesus. I'm not sure who the rulers are talking to here, to themselves maybe, or, or to the crowd of people around Jesus. They don't seem to be speaking to Jesus directly. They're mocking Jesus within their little group. <laughs> they say he saved others. Let him save himself. They seem to acknowledge Jesus' power. They've seen Jesus care for people. They've seen Jesus heal people. They've seen Jesus drive out demons. They've seen him feed a thousand hungry people with nothing. And that was all part of Jesus' bid, his bid for connection with the people around him. Some, we know, some followed. Some turned towards Jesus, but most didn't. Not really. They were there for the show to watch. And maybe we would have been there for the show too. I'm sure along the way, Jesus invited them to the religious leaders to come to follow him. No thanks, no, no thanks, no thanks. I'm good, the polite ones would have said. But the angry ones, the angrier ones, maybe the ones most threatened by Jesus, they've been looking forward to this day for a long time. Have you ever been around angry church leaders? It's not pretty. And I have seen it close, up close, for sure. Hurting, hurtful, angry, vindictive. And that's some of their good points. <laughs> I told a couple a week ago, you can be angry at the church. You can be, it's okay to be angry at the church because we mess it up all the time. But don't be angry with God. And you know, I, I should have corrected myself because it's okay to be angry with God. But don't push away from God. Don't push Him away. Jesus bid for the religious leaders of the day. They turn their backs on Jesus. They turn against Jesus and have him crucified. The folks at the foot of the cross, the people watched, the crowd watched, and the rulers sneered. Next verse, the soldiers also came up and mocked Jesus. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, this, this is the king of the Jews. Next, next fill in the blank, the soldiers mocked. The soldiers mocked. The soldiers, the Roman soldiers, the police of the day, trying to keep things in order. They've responded the same way as the religious leaders. They've had a part in all of this too. And maybe they're convinced it's just part of their jobs. Part of the story last night, the soldiers guarding Jesus after his arrest. arrest. They've been mocking and beating Jesus. And towards the end of the, that night, they blindfold Jesus, and they start beating him over the head. Prophesy! Prophesy! Who, be, who hit you? Who hit you? And the insults were biting. And now again today in Herod's court, before he went to the cross, 
the soldiers in Herod making fun of Jesus and again mocking him, dressing him in an elegant robe and then twisting a crown of thorns and forcing it down on Jesus' head. Then lastly, as Jesus hangs on the cross, they mock him some more with the sign they place over his head. This is the king of the Jews. And they nail it up there good and tight. And then they just laugh at how funny it all is and how funny they think they are. Jesus bid for connection with, with the soldiers. And I'm guessing, guessing many, they don't even know Jesus, but they, they love to mock and hurt and beat and cuss at him. That's what, just, that's what they do, right? It's just part of their job, right? The people watched, the religious rulers sneered, and the soldiers mocked. And then we come to the criminals, the, the first criminal jumping in, jumping in with everyone else. Next verse, verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Spitting these words out. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself, and while you're at it, save us too. Dripping with sarcasm and cynicism and disgust. Next blank. One criminal insulted. One criminal insulted. Jesus bid for him. This criminal's response. Jesus bid for this criminal, and this, this is how the criminal responds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I knew I couldn't believe the stories that I heard. I knew all those stories was a bunch of, just a bunch of hooey. The people watched. The rulers sneered. The soldiers mocked. And this one criminal insulted. All bids against. All bids, if, if, if anything, neutral. But most of them were all bids against. Jesus bid for connection with them. But then lastly, this other criminal as much as somebody came from a cross, two crosses down, he gets in the faces of the other criminal and rebukes him. He rebukes the other criminal and, and then turns towards Jesus. Verse 40. Don't you fear God, he said, since you, you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Next fill in the blank. The other criminal appealed. This criminal rebukes the other, then turns towards Jesus. This criminal turns toward Jesus, and he appeals to Jesus. A face-to-face -face prayer with Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. That's a powerful three-word prayer. And Jesus, with his arms stretched out on that cross to remind him and us how much we're loved, he embraces this criminal with his heart and then with his words. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Last fill in the blank. Last fill in the blank. Jesus promised, you will be with me in paradise. Just to review, the people watched, the rulers sneered, the soldiers mocked, the one criminal insulted, all turning against Jesus. And then there's this turn towards Jesus. The other criminal appealed, and lastly, Jesus promised. And I wonder how long this exchange took place, these nine verses in the story within the larger story. You know, we're told from Scripture that it was dark from, on that day, on Good Friday, it was dark from noon to three. 
Three hours while Jesus was crucified, it was dark. But I wonder really how long this little exchange took place, especially the last part with the one criminal telling Jesus, asking Jesus to remember him. And I'm amazed sometimes what can happen in just a short period of time. Really, what can happen in just five minutes? Five more minutes. An old friend of mine asked me if I could be there for her this past Friday morning. A bid for connection. They initially thought it was just some surfaced skin cancer, and I say just, I shouldn't. Cancer is cancer. It was on the top of her head. It ended up being so much more than that. It was brain cancer. And she lost me in the details of what it was and how they would need to operate on her brain. I just heard her words in the heart of a very, 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 very frightened person. They projected it would be a 10-hour surgery. It ended up being 12-plus hours long. Friday morning, I show up and pre-op at UC Health Highlands Ranch, 6.30 Friday morning. My friend's daughter is there, adult daughter. She's in the room. The anesthesiologist is there explaining things. And he has an intern with him that day. And he asks my friend in the midst of feeling so overwhelmed, he asks my friend, hey, is it okay if if my intern comes with me and is in the OR with us? My friend says, sure. But it is tense in that room. And I try to break the tension because I'm a a knucklehead. I try to break the tension in the room by saying to the intern, you make sure he does it right, okay? And we all laughed. I could be a really funny comedian if, if I could just kind of go into the OR all the time. But, but it's so tense. It's so tense. And they leave, and I have a few minutes to pray with my friend and her daughter before the surgeon comes in to go over all the last-minute stuff. Five minutes tops. And I take my mask off, and I probably shouldn't have done that, but I wanted to look at her. I wanted to look at her eye-to-eye, face-to-face. And I hold her hand, the one that doesn't have the IV in it, and I share that, that verse that we've been sharing all through, you know, since January. This is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I didn't add the somehow, but it was a somehow kind of day for sure. And then we prayed Psalm 23 together. And I asked them to echo the words back to me, remembering that this is a prayer about trust and surrender. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no no evil, for you are with me, for you are with me. And we pray through Psalm 23. And then we pray hard because it's so stinking scary. Pray hard. And I hold my friend's hand and I lay my one hand on her forehead and the daughter grabs the hand with the IV in it and we pray really hard. And I borrow this from Max Lucado. The, greatest our, the greater our cares, the greater our cares, the more genuine our prayers. The darker the room, the greater the need for light. God's help is always near and always available, but it is only given to those who seek it. I'm there no more than five minutes, maybe ten minutes at the top. And I kiss my friend on the top of her forehead. And I hug her daughter, and I tell them both I love them because I do. And on the way out of the hospital, there's another daughter and a son in the waiting room. Both of them I know, and I hug them both, and they thank me for coming. And I just tell them, this is what we do. 
This is how we love on each other. This is how we care for each other. This is church right here. This is good church right here. Bids for connection. Bids for connection. Back to our story. The people watched. The rulers sneered. The soldiers mocked. The one criminal insulted. Here's our challenge. Here's us. The other appealed. The other torn towards Jesus. And lastly, Jesus promised. In the midst of the watching and the jeering and the mocking and the insulting, in the midst of all that, good church happened on the place they called the skull, that first Good Friday. The one criminal's bid for connection, and I love his words. I love his bid for connection. I love his words, the simplicity of his prayer. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. Doesn't have to go to a six-week new member class. Doesn't have to be baptized. Doesn't have to say a word of confession of faith in front of a congregation. He just says these simple but powerful words. Jesus, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus' response, Jesus turned to him. I'll see you tonight. I'll see you there tonight. I'll see you on the other side. All words of hope and faith and love. Take it up a few feet. Growing up Catholic, uh, the question during Lent, the question at the beginning of Lent was always, what are you going to give up for Lent? What are you going to give up this Lent? And the answer would be chocolate or TV or beating up my younger brother. Um, <laughs> all, all well and good. All well and good. My, my favorite to give up was rhubarb, only because I didn't like rhubarb. <laughs> very, very effective. But here's what I would like to throw out. Uh, there for us this Lent. Instead of giving up something, and I don't want to dismiss that. Instead of giving up something, I wish I want us to focus on doing something. And here's your do something homework for this week. Here's our homework for this week. I want us to practice turning towards bids for connection. Turning towards bids for connection. And I want us to, if, if you could do it each day this week. It's, it's a simple thing. It can be done in five minutes or less. Find some time each day this week to ask your spouse or ask a loved one or a neighbor or a friend or a co-worker. Sincerely ask them this question. Is there anything you need from me today? Is there anything you need from me today? And then do everything you can to turn towards that. That's homework lesson number one. And I, and I just want to just share with you what that, what that simple question is. Is there anything you need from me today? It's, it's one loved one turning to another saying, I, I care about you. And then asking them to be vulnerable. Asking them to be honest. And then, and then them sharing honestly and vulnerably, here's, here's, here's where I could use some help. And then doing whatever we can to turn towards that. And sometimes we can't because it's just because of our schedule, because of whatever we can't. But but tell them, I can't right now, but I will. I will. Is there anything you need from me today? Let me share this. Brent Day is our, is our guy that quarterbacks all of that in the back room. He does quarterbacks our online stuff, quarterbacks our live stuff, quarterbacks the, the sound and the lights and all of the stuff. Brent Day, every Sunday, he asks me, Joe, is there anything I can do to help you? Do you have a need today? Is there anything I can do to help you? 
So first, first part of the homework, is there anything you need from me today? Asking a loved one that question, okay? And the second part is, same question, but asking God that. Asking God the same question. God, God, is there anything you need from me today? God, is there somehow I can be your hands and feet today? Is there somehow I can love somebody today, be in your stead today? You know, we're listening over these next weeks to the the words from Jesus from the cross. And I really believe in all my heart that Jesus is bid always for us to connect, but no no more powerfully than from the cross.